Hello everyone and welcome to Charged. Charged is an exciting collection of multimedia resources for the African and international creative economy. It is curated and produced by HIVA, Africa's first dedicated creative economy finance, business support and knowledge facility. We, the HIVA team, are thrilled to welcome you into a space where you will enjoy learning and engaging directly about the creative and cultural space. Charged will feature input from our wide community of creatives, business owners, investors, policymakers, and others. We are certain that you will pick up on something to help you along your creative business's journey, wherever you may be. This project is enabled by the Innovative Financing Initiative for Culture, IFIC, and we are grateful for the support of our sponsors, the EU Commission and the French Development Agency, AFD. The resources of Charged include audio and video interviews, short clips, articles, and more. We're super happy to welcome you to one today. Do let us know what you think on our social media channels using the hashtag Charged. We are at Hiva Fund on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For now, sit back and enjoy. Yeah, you just kind of tell us about, tell us your name um, and what and 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 what you do at Illum, and then like maybe even give us a bit of the origin story of Illum. Okay, sure. All right, um, my name is Anne Mazimaka, and I am the co-founder and creative director of Illum Creative Studio, which is a communications agency that is based in Kigali, Rwanda. And uh, we're, we're an agency as well as a creative studio. On the agency side, we create content, develop strategies and market content for our clients. And on the studio side, we develop our own projects um, and events and things like that. So um, in terms of our origin story, Illum started um, uh, almost 11 years ago now. Uh, we, all the co-founders of Illum, there are five of us, we're working in very different fields in different countries. Um, I was, I have a, a legal background, I'm a lawyer, and I was working here for the UN. And uh, our current CEO was working as the head of tourism marketing for Rwanda. Um, and uh, our other co-founders are working in marketing and photography, um, in design and, bio, and uh, biodiversity, very diverse fields that had nothing to do with communications, generally speaking. And, um, we were brought together to work on a project. So our CEO, who is also my sister, was organizing the Pan-African Dance Festival, um, which involved countries from around the continent coming to Kigali, and she had a short time to deliver on that. So she pulled in as many volunteers as she could, and we all and we all volunteered to kind of help out with artist management, um, graphic design, social media management, photography. And as we were working on this together, we realized that we work really well together as a team, but also we have such complementary skills and we should turn it into something. And that's when the discussions began and those late nights um, organizing and planning, that's when it began. Um, and then uh, Ilum was born. Um, that's a really, really beautiful story. Um, and especially this kind of uh, realizing how profoundly aligned you are and then kind of really deeply intentionally working to, um, to, to come together and continue working together, you know? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, are you, can you, can you say what the kind of landscape for, um, this kind of comms and, 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 and creative, uh, work you do? What's the kind of, what's the landscape for that in, in Rwanda and from your, from your POV in Rwanda, what do you think about the scope for this kind of work in the region in general? 
Um, the landscape now is is completely different than when we began, and I think that's one of the gifts that I am forever grateful for is having is having been able to watch the the growth of the creative industry uh, in Rwanda. When we began in 2010, uh, we were the first boutique agency. Um, the only sort of agencies in this industry were big advertising agencies, and nobody really understood what we did. We wanted to do social media marketing for businesses. Nobody thought it was necessary. Mm. And we really wanted to push the development of quality, quality content. And basically our vision when we started was to change what the world sees when they Google Rwanda. We at the time would Google image Rwanda and you would just see gorillas and images of the 1994 genocide. Right. And we knew there are so many more stories to be told. And all we wanted to do was create great content and to also create opportunities for people to tell different kinds of stories. So when we began as an agency, sort of selling ourselves to people and pitching, nobody really understood the value of what we were talking about. And we had to, I think, get hired outside of the country first for people to realize that we sort of had this, uh, could bring added value. Um, and from since then, um, so many agencies have popped up. The creative industry has grown at such a rapid rate. You have a whole new generation of, of young entrepreneurs, um, young creatives who actually consider um, being in the creative industry a proper career. Mm. At the time, as I told you, when we began, we all had, we were all in very different careers and um, everybody thought it was a mistake to go into this industry um, to just sort of, um, because it just it wasn't viable right um and and people didn't go to school necessarily to study anything creative because no. you needed to you know yeah get serious even if you were creative get serious and get a proper job yeah um but we've seen people more and more people in um and the generation below us just um purposely study advertising and communication and marketing but also going out on a limb and starting businesses even if they didn't study it and and i think it's a reflection of the openness um in the country in terms of opportunity mm -hmm. um people this young generation now that are in their sort of in their 20s um grew up in a place where anything was possible mm -hmm. um and so they they kind of they kind of reflect that now so now you just see a burgeoning a creative industry in this country and it's also slowly starting to be supported as well by you know um the rest of the rest of the country as well um and and yeah so at the moment our landscape is 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 quite diverse we still have a long ways to go in terms of um professionalization um of 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 creative uh, businesses there are a lot of people who have great ideas they've started working but there's a, still a lot um a long way to go in terms of um, how do you turn your passion into a proper business? Mm. So there's a long way to go in terms of that. Um, and um, a lot, and then we still have a ways to go also in terms of um, uh, providing skills that were not provided in school possibly. So there's a gap between skills that were provided in school and skills that are needed in the professional world. Um, but in terms of the market, we see a, a better understanding of what the different creative um, uh, sectors are what the different um, what different agencies have to offer. People can kind of understand a little bit more what communications is, what PR is versus marketing. Yeah. Um, so the, the understanding is growing in the market, and um, 
and the fearlessness is is growing in the creative so it's a kind of a nice a nice um moment uh, to see that sounds that and sounds very be beautiful and and in fact um it's very much because because the loom i mean is a word that kind of alludes to light and so it's very much like you guys went walked into the room and switched on the light and then so many more people could see so that's quite beautiful um oh, thank I, you. <laughs> you're welcome you <laughs> pardon you know, first, nobody ever knows what illum means you're the first one to say that are you serious <laughs> exactly yes and that's exactly why we named ourselves illum mm. yes Absolutely like it's 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 so it's so clear to me. Um I I think I think one really interesting thing to ask and and you kind of alluded to it when you're talking about professional professionalizing the sector is um yeah. so like so like there's definitely a big difference between um being able to execute something even execute something really beautifully and being able to sell the fact that you execute it well. Right? And so mm-hmm. this is kind of what we were we were we're going to dive into in the course of this conversation this idea of mm-hmm. the business side of a creative business um mm-hmm. because like there's uh, talent is a dime a dozen there's no lacking talent in Rwanda there's no lacking talent in Africa um but then like the the the, the knowledge and the structures behind how you can do it as profitably as possible um in a way that's as fulfilling as possible to you um gives as much as possible to uh the audience and still keeps you in a place where you can continue producing that by itself is a whole other thing. And so how did you guys um figure that out for yourselves at Illum? Like how did you kind of build the structures that allowed you to be uh to be a creative business? It was very much trial and error. Mm. Uh we none of us started out with a business background and uh so you know at the beginning it was just vibes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh and we were just running around doing beautiful things and and um being very proud of ourselves but mm-hmm. we realized of course that um as we started to grow as um we started to get more clients that we realized that we would not be able to kind of handle this in the sort of ad hoc format that we had yeah because uh, it was still the five founders doing all the work for the longest time mm-hmm. i think it was for the first Mm-hmm, two years. It mm-hmm. took us 2 to 3 years to hire anybody else. Yes. And and so for I think the first 2 years it was just wonderfully the reason I think it was so easy for us to just keep going without any sort of structure was everything was done on referral. Right. So we would get referrals so, so we we didn't even have to market that much or sell that much. Mm. And um and so we would just take things on, get them done and move on. Mm-hmm. And um I think as we started to grow we realized we needed a business plan a real business plan right and um needed to put things into place because we were also not really knowing what was going on uh-huh. um in terms of we couldn't basically analyze the business we didn't know we couldn't do any forecasting we couldn't um really plan properly because we had never looked at ourselves and our structures so right. we just began by putting in um key roles like operations and things like that and um hiring uh, an accountant just to keep us on track and and all of those things because we realized we really did have to change into a business mm. and we took we took some courses because sometimes you can make it work for a little while but if you don't know yeah ask for help mm-hmm. find people who can help you who know what they're talking about uh-huh. so um i we entered into uh myself and the ceo um entered into a business program for for women mm-hmm. uh business owners and that really helped us in terms of developing our 
it, our first business plan, our first real business plan. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it was just um, all about putting in structures and processes because when you don't have those in place, you 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 don't know where you're losing money. Right. You don't know if you're profitable at all. You don't know um, whether the services that you're offering are actually bringing anything in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and you really don't you don't know how to grow basically mm. and at the time we just needed to 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 grow because the demand was getting um was the market had changed and people were starting to demand um more quality content and more digital marketing services right. so we had to kind of get ourselves on track to keep up with the demand and also to make sure that we don't mm. um we don't fold Yes. Yeah. When you think about when you think about that course that you did, the one that was kind of like um, like a starter pack business course for mm-hmm. women entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, do you are there still some things that you remember from that course that like you would never have known if you didn't learn them from that course and how are you using them today? This sounds really really simple, mm-hmm. but at the time we were not making any plans based on the numbers. Right. We were just saying, okay, we need photography makes more money. So let's just do more of that. Right. <laughs> In terms of just revenue. But we weren't looking at the numbers and analyzing, you know, we weren't looking at our business by looking at the, the balance sheets and the income statements and the profit and loss. We weren't looking at those things mm-hmm. at all. We didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what has stuck with me the most from that course was thinking about my business from numbers. Right. Up. Um, and developing services and products based on the numbers and also based on trends and based on because there are a lot of people who love a lot of things but what will they pay for right. something like that like what are people really willing to pay for and yeah and and looking around at our um, our then competition was coming up so also looking around and doing proper competitive analysis mm. and really not relying on the fact that you're a cool brand anymore i think that was a big thing for us it's we relied on our brand Mm. it was just just a good a strong brand i think maybe because of the different individuals in the company and because we worked on branding so hard at the beginning right but then we were we were really like now that there's competition coming what says what sets us apart Mm. and also what does competition mean what Mm. does it look like Mm. And because um, competition just can't be an agency, you have to analyze the competition, see what services they offer. Yeah. How do you differ? What is your comparative advantage? So those are all the things that stuck with me from that from that course is the accounting, of course, and finance, every, everything to do with that, but also the competitive analysis and really learning our market. Maybe we can and talk because about... Because the market oh, sorry. in Rwanda changes so... Sorry. No. Because the market here changes so much uh, and so rapidly, we really... That really helped us keep up. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about like the like the numbers because um, one of the yeah. things that 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 we hear a lot um, from creatives is is this kind of deep unwillingness and like you can understand it especially because there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage in the ways that numbers are taught um, the ways that numbers are yeah. prized above other kinds of learning especially among creatives so if you find that you're more artistically um, you're more artistically talented and you're not that great with math with numbers with business when you're learning in school there's a lot of stigma attached to that and then you're told that if you're just quote unquote just an artist then you're not as clever as the sciencey people the math people so like there's baggage in the stuff around the unwillingness to go near numbers after after school but then like for you guys who this was not a thing you'd had to deal with in fact like you are 
employed well, there were literally departments of people who are paid mm-hmm. to look at numbers and then now you come from there into and now we have to deal with the numbers ourselves right mm-hmm. so what was that journey like for you that was it was scary mm-hmm. <laughs> um for that exact reason you know you don't have uh, the experience you don't know if you're doing this properly we were scared of things like taxes we're mm-hmm. scared of them just for the just because you know you know you have to pay them but then you you're scared of getting them wrong yeah. you're scared of getting things like that wrong messing up somehow mm. um and um it, it was very intimidating right but the, taking the course any course really anything that sort of reading first of all like learning doing the research yourself kind of helps break through that yeah um and taking the course really helped me because I had, I started to see myself as a business person mm-hmm. before I was you know a creative director and <laughs> I was the ideas person but now I started to see my I started to see myself as a business person and um I think I was also able to see how far to see that I can do it I understand it I don't like it yeah so maybe what I should do next is find someone who loves this mm. and can work with us on this so I think because because it is really hard to be it's really difficult to be open and free and creative yeah and also be staring at the numbers all the time right and it's 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 very hard because then if you're just ruled by the numbers then you kind of limit yourself creatively mm-hmm. um but if you're just going with your creative ideas and not looking at the actual impact that it's having and not looking at at the numbers then you're not really running a business right and so i think i think there are some people who are creative in the sense that they're artists and right. this is really really hard for them because first of all putting a value to your work is very difficult mm. and that's one thing we really struggled with was pricing mm. pricing was very very has always been an issue mm. and and so i understand when somebody is just wants to stay in the creative side and doesn't want to think about it but you need to have someone in your business who is doing that with you you yeah. need to have somebody who's focused on that and and um but i think honestly one of the best ways to get past the intimidation of it is just to learn about it mm-hmm. or have someone great explain it to you and you don't have to do this every day you don't have to deal with the numbers every day yeah but as anybody anyone who owns a business needs to be able to understand what they're looking at mm. um we saw a lot of our counterparts or in different industries rely on um an outside accountant or someone I never look at the numbers and that they were being robbed. Wow. They didn't see that they didn't know where money was going. They if you could if you ask them a question about any of the numbers they wouldn't know because they trusted, you know, this their accountant, person. yeah. So, yeah, so even if numbers are not your thing, if you if you decide to turn your creative pursuits into an enterprise, into a business, yeah. you have to have some sort of you need to be able to read um the numbers and understand what you're looking at yeah. you need to read the financial reports and understand them and you need to re- and for us what was really important is you need to always be the one signing the checks right things and things like that or you know um just because you don't want to be leave everything to someone else mm. um, if it's your if it's your business absolutely so we kind of worked on um educating ourselves as, in terms of being able to understand everything and we also separated our role Roles. Mm. So we have the creatives and we have the directors and um and so the, so us as the directors would 
uh, made sure to keep informing ourselves and to keep taking courses, by the way, and to always yeah. keep learning. Yeah. And yeah. That's that's amazing what you said about like always keeping learning and actually what you said about being robbed blind by accountants um has actually reminded me of um of 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 Rihanna's song Bitch but have my money which was actually about her actual accountant who was actually robbing her Was it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's a thing, I promise you. Oh wow. Yeah. It is. Yes. <laughs> I remember learning when I was younger, I remember Oprah saying that she always writes her own checks. Mm. She always she always looks at the balance in the bank mm. herself. And I was like, Oprah, who has everybody to do this for her. Yep. I mean that was years ago, but I remember that stuck with me because I was just because you never know. Yep. If you don't pay attention to the details. Then, yeah. Yeah. And actually, especially and especially I don't think it would be like an accountant you got yesterday who would start robbing you. It'll be somebody who no. knows that you have a habit of not looking at the numbers. Numbers. yes yeah exactly absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, um one of the things that's really interesting to know about creative businesses um is how they identify what a good market opportunity is for them so you guys mm-hmm. how do you know um this is when to pick this job because there are also times that you have to turn down jobs right so how do you know this is a good job for us this is a good time for us to take this job this is the one where we're gonna need to stretch ourselves a little bit because we need it for the money um these are the times we can afford to say no so how how does that work for you when you're kind of selecting what to do um i think it it has changed over the years um when you start out you are take, we took everything mm. <laughs> that came our way right everything because you don't know if it's going to come again we had that mentality for a long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we don't know if anyone's going to keep hiring us yeah um it was like a weird imposter syndrome on a on a group level <laughs> so mm. we we weren't sure if people were going to keep hiring us so we took everything um but then you realize that um you have to be quite strategic about the decisions you make and the clients you take on and now we consider several things we consider whether the stories they want us to tell mm, align with our values right so there can be a, a company that comes to you and has a lot of money and it's a big account but if the stories you're telling and you're putting out there do not align with your values and we don't want to do it that's mm-hmm. that was one thing for us um of course we, we learned that by by taking a job that we shouldn't have taken and being you know just not liking what we're putting out there not being comfortable with it and um we now really want to match our, the clients that we take on with our brand and our our values but also um we look at the potential possibly for the the client becoming a repeat customer we look at that mm-hmm. we look at um uh possibly the network that it can create for us so sometimes it can be a job that we take with um a brand that has a big name but it's not not a great budget at that time but through that brand we can get access to others yeah and so there's that needs to be considered as well it's like a strategic taking this one on because you know they'll refer you to a whole other network and that has actually worked really well for us um and because even if they're not repeat customers themselves they've referred us to other people yeah and um and then of course it's it's the hardest part is saying no mm-hmm. because you are in the habit of saying yes and you do need to survive and who turns down money yeah but but there are jobs that look really great and the budget does not make any sense and you'll be making a loss right there are there are jobs where the the way the contract is set up it allows for scope creep mm. which means that like 
your your your, your what you had agreed on um, in the contract is kind of so loosely defined that they can keep adding and adding and adding right. deliverables, for example, and you can't change the budget. Mm, mm, um, mm. And of course, now we look at the average time that company takes to pay as well. Right. Because we ran into big cash flow pro- problems because we would take on a seemingly big client mm. who would take months and months to pay. Mm. So it would put us in a in a really bad position in terms of cash flow. Mm-hmm. The roster looked good mm-hmm. and we were doing the work, but there was no cash coming in. Right. Um, and we didn't know when it was coming in because it's a big organization, for example. They're yeah. just like, this is our policy. So we learned also to study, to ask for financial policies from everybody while like, when you know, as you, people ask you to do a pitch, you also ask them things um and you also ask them for their financial policy so that you can plan right um so if we're looking we're at a place where we have three customers like that and we don't have any other way of cash coming in we do not take those on Mm. or maybe you take one of those on and others that will bring in the cash so it's it's a lot of um it's a lot of that and sometimes it's also potential like if it's a new business Mm. and we see that we can make a lot of impact right. on that business. And that way, they'll kind of be like a walking advertisement for us. Mm-hmm. That's another, yeah, even if the budget's not big, for example, but we can do something um, to create a presence for them. Right. Um, and yeah, then yes. So I that's think kind of, those are what we took into consideration. You've said two really important things about um, client work. Um, I love, I've, I've never had the phrase scope creep and I love it because it's so perfect. Um, yeah. And 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 it and it really it really captures it really captures um, that kind of element of exactly what the client will try to do. What are red flags for you that say, oh, this is scope creep language? What are the things that you just hear and you know this is going to be a problem? Um, let's see. If if the, there's a clause in the contract that sort of says and any other work. Woo! I see. Uh, the designer will do this, 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 and this, and any other work that can be that can be anything, right? And then they tell you, but it's a long-term contract. But still, you need to know the scope needs to be tighter than that, unless mm. the unless they have you on retainer, right? If, if you're on retainer, then yes, and any other work, of course. Yeah, sure. that's that's the point of retainer. But if it's a limited contract, limited uh, in terms of funds and and any other work, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always like a big negotiation process mm-hmm. because because we really need to we like to tie down deliverables. We have to have them very specific. Yes. Um, if you're not going to have us on retainer for this amount of money, you're going to get literally this many videos. Yes. This much, you know, like it has to be that specific. We do that. So, and any other work is one of those red flags. Um, and. Um, also we huh um charging by the hour yeah for an agency Mm -hmm. um is a red flag because that can result in uh not yes scope creep but also then you invoice for the extra hours and they refuse to pay you because that wasn't the agreed upon amount wow yeah because they have a budget for you but then they say do this by the hour that has that that happens sometimes as well okay it's not every time, but it happens sometimes. So there has to be an, when you do that, when you tar- charge by the hour as an agency, you have to have a clause in your contract that says any overtime work will be charged at this rate and you'll be invoiced at this so that they sign you for that. Right. Yes. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, speaking speaking about charges p- 
by the hour um you'd mentioned that you guys have you you guys had struggled earlier with how you price um and then of course yeah. definitely depending because because again you've said that you're quite sensitive um and flexible maybe flexible is a better word you're you're quite flexible to the fact that different people have different kinds of budgets are coming from different places again also the kind of job is going to do different things for you maybe the kind of exposure that this thing is going to give you and while exposure is almost a dirty word in creative circles for, for valid <laughs> reasons for valid reasons um but this exposure can work for you uh, we like this client sometimes you can actually do a job just because you like the person or because it comes and it's mm-hmm. so deeply aligned with the values that you guys have that you wouldn't charge mm-hmm. it the same thing that you would charge like a full market thing for that same amount of time and so mm-hmm. when you're just kind of thinking about for instance what your prices will be um what are the things that have helped you not undercut yourselves um and 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 also what are the things that keep you grounded so that you don't kind of go to the stratosphere with 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 the, with the rates that you're giving because definitely creatives struggle a lot um with 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 pricing especially because once you've covered for for all of your expenses and what have you um now everything after that is profit and it's you who has to decide what that's going to look like for you so what what are the things that help you make those decisions oh um i think we because the way we price is because we've moved away from retainers generally in the industry right over the last 10 years um and the clients are getting far more specific about um uh return on investment and about and being very detailed about exactly what they paid for right so i remember moving from retainers and going in and the clients would ask you to detail what's in the retainer and i remember being, we were so young, we're such a young company we actually put our direct costs mm. in the invoice mm-hmm. and they started refusing to pay direct costs so it, we hadn't learned basically how to factor in your overhead yeah. uh into the price of your services yeah So there was time we were really undercharging uh because they would say this is too much for photography and we couldn't say but it's not just the photos it's also the work and the overheads as well. Yeah. Um so so learning how to work your knowing very well what your fixed costs are, what your variable costs are and learning how to work those in to the costing of your services is very very key. Mm. And we took, you know we went up and down with that one because it's never really um uh easy and um also we we price per project and again because people have such different budgets but right now what we've learned how to do is this is the budget for the work this is exactly what it's going to cost right um and then they say no uh we have this much right and then we say okay so then we make sure that okay so you have this much this is what we can do for that much yeah The key is not to say yes, okay, just this one time we'll do it for this little because that person is never going to pay you full price yeah. after that. Um, especially when it's a mixed comms contract like ours where there's photography, there's video, there's social media, there's everything. Yeah. If they can get that for the lower price, why would they come back and pay full price? That's so, true. That's true. Um, so like you have to cut I, like I, if they if they cut down the price, you cut down the deliverables. The serve exactly. Mm-hmm. And then they can see that and then they're like, "Okay, or Um if it's somebody you really, you know, you you're invested in and you think this can mean better business, you can say I'm giving you a discount. Yeah. But you have to say it on the invoice as well. Yeah. Like first time customer discount. Something that indicates that this is you're not willing to do it for 
it's just like when you barter anywhere else if yeah. somebody gives you a price and you keep bartering and it gets lower and lower you know that you can get it for that much. Yeah. so um i think the, the key to that is we've really learned how to negotiate and mm. we keep telling people this is our quote but let us know what you can do and then we we tailor the services to the amount that they have i see yeah and so that's that's kind of the piece that we've made with that but still sometimes you you undersell sometimes you bid and you you're trying to get it so you you try to lower your price um we lost a job once because we undervalued ourselves right that's what they said <laughs> they said that means you don't really know what you're doing because you undervalued these services wow and that's that was a lesson okay that was a lesson because we were trying so hard to get it that we thought let's make our prices lower so that's not how you mm. you have to look at the market of course look at the market you don't uh, um you look at the market you have to see if your prices are really competitive yeah um you also don't want to get so high make your prices so high that you're now you're losing work completely because you're being undercut absolutely um and you also have to really really demonstrate value so i always encourage people to put as much detail in your quote as possible mm. this is how we're going to work with you we're going to meet with you this many times this is how we're going you know we're going to meet with you weekly we're going to do this we're going you know just kind of as much detail as possible so they can see everything they're getting not just photos yeah but the whole idea this is how the photos will be delivered this is da, 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 da. this is where you can use them things like that so also showing value when you're um um pricing a service is, right is, is key. okay yeah. um you've talked about uh, what keeps you guys the business side of your of, of your workshop and, and you spoke especially about learning and continuous learning um and so that makes me curious about um how 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 the creative side of your business is kept sharp as well because of course um creative creative um creative uh, techniques, uh, projects, um, uh, sectors are always kind of learning and, and growing and expanding and evolving. So how do you guys keep that side of your business sharp? Ah, that's the one that, uh, that's a hard one yeah. <laughs> for me personally, because I haven't been, uh, keeping my, the creative side sharp on my end, mm -hmm. uh, like I used to be able to do. I think, um, I, we used to do that through travel right just moving around yep um exploring and you're not like you don't have to go far you, it can be your own city but just not being in the office mm. um um experiencing life because then that's when you get your motivation and also taking the time out right to think so i realize now that um I, during the pandemic just kind of was it was 2020 was really stressful mm. we were on lockdown for most of the year mm. so um so every day was the same day mm -hmm. and every hour was the same hour and there was kind of like no no, no inspiration around a lot I, I mean i mean not the way i had been used to finding it which is moving around right um and so I I've realized that I have to be like really intentional about finding inspiration and intentional about taking the time mm. to daydream. There's just something about daydreaming that's really, really important. You just have to let yourself go. Oh wow. And daydream. Um it's hard, huh? When you've just been like running a business and you've been stressed. And it's been hard for me getting back to that since 2020 because 2020 was just we have to survive. Yeah. So it was just work, 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 work. And then now I, I realize that I don't take that time anymore to just kind of lay there or sit there and daydream mm. to um, 
to read books that are not necessarily business books or mm-hmm. um but just to like lose yourself in fiction yeah possibly yeah um also to walk around and look at things and uh absorb colors and look at what people are wearing look at um patterns that are out there like looking at how people are talking and also um for us it's also like you know learning about campaigns around the world like different creative campaigns that right. people are doing it and um everything so um podcasts have been a really good one for for me personally mm-hmm. um listening to other creative entrepreneurs but also just listening to stories um listening to how different people tell stories how storytelling has evolved so much with with um the internet and, and people's access to the internet and uh um audio and everything so yeah for me i think it's about looking around it's about absorbing it's about challenging yourself to learn a new skill sometimes i learned how to design i learned how to be a graphic designer wow like the most basic of ways but <laughs> but it was something um my next one is photography i i i need to, i can't be surrounded by such amazing photographers and not know how to take photos properly but um <laughs> but also um yeah so there are things that i've lost along the way that i would like to get back again like free writing and the things that make ideas pop into your head mm. and uh Yeah, so I think allowing yourself to not be strategizing all the time, allowing yourself to to dream and play and yeah. and absorb, I think is key. It is very very key to keeping the creative side of the business sharp. And then when it comes to the team, um it's also my job to motivate them creatively as well because right. they kind of mirror what we do. Mm. They they force stress, their stress. So they mirror that. So we have to always remember to keep their creative juices flowing give them different challenges that are not deliver this for the client yeah. you know yeah um yeah so we have um uh creative right we have a creative friday every quarter and people pitch ideas and then they go off and they make those ideas whether it's a it's a pitch for a podcast or whether it's it's a pitch for a magazine or something and they go off and they create it themselves right. just to keep everything going yes that's yeah. amazing That's amazing. And I mean like one of the things that you've mentioned just now um has really deeply resonated with me about um being able to keep a team motivated and there the a lot of people really like especially creatives who are starting out in business for themselves really kind of crave the day that there'll be more than just me. There's probably going to be a lot of different people kind of carrying the load together, which is great, but also like managing a team um of very different people who are and especially because if they're creative people then they tend to be very strong-willed as well right um comes with its own challenges and i wanted to ask you what kind of um what kind of insights and reflections you might have about um keeping keeping a good team together focused and happy because that's a difficult thing that is very very difficult and you're most often not going to have all three of those things happening at the mm, same time mm, mm, um but i think the key to that is listening mm. and um is listening and providing opportunities right to get feedback from the team mm-hmm. because you can guess or you can be you know trying different things to motivate them but you need to know how they're feeling and um so they need to kind of create a space for them to to hang out with each other for the team to be to to, network, to be together yeah and and without working mm-hmm. but then also create a way for them to come and talk to you if anything is wrong or if they're feeling 
anything particular, but also to reach out to them on purpose. Right. So we've, we've started doing check-ins. Um, um, there's a company that uh, one of our clients that told us that they do um, a happiness audit with their teeth. Wow. And I, I love that so much. I love that idea. And it's just checking in with your team to make sure that they're doing okay. What mm. has brought you joy? What is What are you struggling with? And um, yeah, we realized that when we start asking them these questions, it takes them a while, but they do open up. Yeah. And um, you have to be, you have to find the line. You have to be kind of empathetic and you have to, it also helps you realize um, um, sometimes you can see things as an employer, you can see an employee doing something and you assume a lot. Yeah. Like she's always late. And that means she doesn't care. That means she's being disrespectful to something. Mm. But you don't know what's going on in their lives. Mm. So we so you I think you do have to take the time, not as an excuse, but just to take the time to to possibly see what the challenges someone is facing is and how you can make it how you can create an envi- environment conducive to them being happier. Yeah. And more focused. Yeah. And when we did that, then we had people asking us if they could have more flexi hours because mm. they have children at home. And mm-hmm. yes, that, you know, and then you create that policy because it works if they can deliver. Um, and we also did personality tests with the whole team so we could understand each other better as well. Wow. And it was really great. We did personality tests and it even teaches you how to talk to the others. So this person, when they're silent, they don't want to be bothered. So mm. don't talk to them immediately. Mm. You know, things like that. Yeah. So um, taking the time to to see and also to see your team as colleagues i think there's a mistake that you make sometimes um when you hire people that they're they're your staff yeah which they are technically but when you excuse me for one second no problem sorry i have a cold i was coughing oh my goodness i'm so Um, sorry (laughs) that's okay um but yeah so when you when um I can't remember what I was saying. Uh, um, you, you were you were you were you were talking you were talking about um colleagues versus um staff. Yes, exactly. Treating your your team members like colleagues or as fellow team members is really really key because it it keeps the dialogue open. It keeps the flow open, and um it I think it just results in better work and it results in more of a sense of ownership mm. from the team members. Then you know when you, there's a very clear vertical hierarchy. Right, right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's it's a learning process managing people, and some people are not cut out. Sometimes you can own a business, but you're not cut out to manage. Yeah. And if you <laughs> to manage people, and at the end, if you realize that it's good to to kind of take yourself out of that mm. and still be you know the visionary and the founder, but sometimes but you can hire people to actually do the the people management. management part. Yes, yes, yeah. So it's also self-analysis is great in that way too. Absolutely. Because it's okay to say I'm not really this is not really where I where I thrive. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um have you 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 you've you've probably had to put like a bunch of systems in place to like make sure that your financial history is 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 all is is all is all good before you started looking for outside financing um and so what was what was that what was that process like for you what are the things that you had to say okay we absolutely need this so we work on building this and then we absolutely need this before then we feel like yeah we can actually invite somebody from outside to come and have a look at our finances um i think one of the things that struck me the most um our, our attitude to financing has always was always kind of hesitant we were always hesitant just like with numbers mm. um we didn't want debt <laughs> basically we yeah. said we're gonna stay debt free um 
then you get to and we did we didn't have any take out any loans or any grants nothing and for the first 10 years um mm. of Ilum. uh but we did a company sort of audit in 2019 i was i was um participated in the stanford seed program which is um uh, a program that's um that kind of takes you through basically an executive MBA. Right, right. And we had realized that we had taken the company as far as we could take it on our gut feelings and our whims and our vibes. Mm, so, vibes. <laughs> I mean, ten, ten years yeah, of that, vibes and managing on vibes is great. It's, it's success. Yeah. It's success there. <laughs> that is success. Yeah. But we realized that the vibes wouldn't take us to the growth stage of things, like a big, a big growth. So um, I was in this program, did it for a year and we did a tra- we created a transformation plan but part of that transformation plan was and was really auditing ourselves right and figuring out where we were weak and it was indeed if the systems and the processes mm-hmm. um uh, there was there was nothing that was really um sticking and we had a huge uh cash flow issue mm-hmm. lots of accounts receivables mm-hmm. the, so everything looked good on paper but in reality it wasn't really working mm. and we realized we really do need investment we need how do we make ourselves investable? And that conversation started because we were always in spaces with other creatives and in these in the creative industry, and everybody's always complaining that banks don't take a chance on us. Right. Um, angel investors, when they look at us, it's like, really, how, what am I getting back? What am I really getting out of it? Um, so we started talking to a lot of people in who are who work uh, with VLCs or who work who work with. Um, investment and invest in small businesses and just to see what what does that mean when you say the creative industry is a risky industry to invest in right what does that mean what aren't we doing why are we risky um so we took the time to understand that and we thought let's work on ourselves to make ourselves Mm. as investable as possible let's see and let's try so it had to of course be the system we had to do change management number one Mm -hmm. We couldn't just have the five founders anymore. Right. Um, we we needed to have everyone doing optimally what was right for the work. Mm-hmm. So our um, our outgoing uh, CEO became the CEO of our publishing arm, mm-hmm. and so he left because and then uh, because he wasn't the right fit to take the company forward in this way because he wanted to do other things. Right. So it was, he moved he moved there himself because he he. And we've since published two books mm-hmm. and then um we took out to the rest of the, the two founders out of management because they were they were more in uh, sort of creatives mm. so it came in the head of photography and then and then that left myself and the ceo and then we hired an operations manager right and two account managers so now it's like proper management team mm-hmm. and then governance we looked at governance we've never had a board mm. so putting putting in place an accountability system basically is what we had to do and then um of course then um putting in place all the the uh financial systems that we needed so we have an outside account accounting firm and a tax advisor and then the software that we need um in-house to kind of keep track of our finances as well right and uh, then we ha- also hired um, a lawyer just to keep us to make sure that everything is compliant that mm. we're compliant so all of those things had to we had to bring in a lot of outside people right who are really good at what they do mm. 
uh, that were not us, <laughs> essentially. And so put the right people in place and then put the right, right processes and systems uh, in place. And that just to prepare us to, to, um, to seek financing. That- that 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 sounds like it was a it was it was it was a very challenging thing to do and and it sounds like stuff that you did over a period of time because like that amount of change in a short period of time can be really dizzying actually yeah yeah i think we did it over we did it over a year mm. over one year yeah and, and um, even that year is a short time you know though. it was really short yeah yeah it was quite a bit of change but we 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 just knew we, once we came up with the transfer the plan to yeah. transform our business then we just we gave ourselves 18 months to kind of start out mm-hmm. and then of course covid came and froze everything and yeah. then we, we we started again but luckily again because we talked to, to the whole team through everything we talked to everybody about everything what we're doing we're trying to grow yeah and when we when we're when you talk to the whole team and you're transparent about everything then it kind of everything fell into place that makes a lot of that sense. Way. That makes a lot of yeah. sense, and and um and I'm and I'm really I'm really glad also that you talked about like change management as a as a, mm-hmm. as a as a as a as a thought process and as an engagement in mm-hmm. and of itself it's an entire project to change so to imagine that you can just kind of step in and you just kind of transform the the logistics of the thing without taking the time to transform the idea behind it yes. um i mean yes. like like yeah like you have to you have to go through your change like a person who is going through change not imagining that you can soldier through change and it'll be fine yeah and all those things that I that I mentioned were not none of them was easy. Mm, absolutely, um, we've been. Hi, Anne. I think we've lost you. Hello. Hello. Hi. We can hear you now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you were you were you were about you were saying that um, none of the changes was easy. Yes, none of the changes was easy, um, especially when you start with, you know, a founding team. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to, to know who you are outside of the company. Mm. <laughs> you know, we, it was hard for us to define ourselves outside of the company as individuals. Yeah. Um, and so that change actually took each individual taking a journey on their own to mm. be like, who am I? What do I bring to this? Do I still bring what I was bringing before? Can someone do this better than me? Yeah. Or differently than me so there's a lot of self-analysis uh involved and not everybody went through the same growth at the same time yeah <laughs> which happens um and then of course in changing processes you do have to take the time to 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 make them a habit within the team and to uh to implement them and there's a lot there's backsliding that happens if you're not doing it actively all the time mm. so yeah nothing was easy and and it, it took a lot of radical truth and it took a lot of um, change and letting go mm. of, of things and also for me I think the light came when I realized I might not be the way we have things now might not be the best way for the company to go and I might not have all the answers right because <laughs> I'm also <laughs> you know I might not have all the answers maybe I can learn mm. and maybe um, bringing other people in can also help mm. so yeah yeah it's not easy but sometimes it's necessary absolutely oh and also sorry and also the idea that the we're supposed to have an exit strategy right as the leadership of the business we're supposed to be making it a standalone business that does not rely on us mm. that was the i think the hardest lesson for us because we were like oh yes that's success is if we can, if we can exit and it keeps going yeah yeah that's that's that that's amazing 
Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it, it does not sound like it was easy at all. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um I I guess maybe like there's two there's two more questions we can ask um uh, right now and the first one is about uh, because you guys also do kind of event planning and 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 public mm-hmm. relations but particularly with regard to events and with the changes that have come since 2020 when a whole bunch of event stuff had to go digital or like bust right and not all events can translate easily towards digital so what have you learned about um that kind of engagement with digital even though your work was heavily digitalized already before but what lessons did covid teach illum specifically with regard to um engaging digitally on the event side and on places that are a little bit challenging to translate into the, into the event space into into the digital space um, i mean yeah um especially with the events we did they were very much, they're very hard to do digitally mm, mm. um um there were some things like conferences that that translated well especially when they were done well yeah and organized well um and then uh, when it comes to other things like like a fashion week mm. or um you know things like that th- those didn't really translate well but it was It, it taught us that that we have to be kind of less rigid about what we mean by done well or whether what we we have to kind of break things apart and mm. put them together again mm-hmm. so you get right back to the essence of the event right. so what was this what was this about really and then how are other ways that we can show this mm. and reach people in the same way evoke the same emotional response that is not with everyone being in the same room mm. and so it is challenging in that way uh, it's challenging in that way um but we we still don't have a lot of the answers um our, we have one big annual event that has been our sort of trademark for the past 10 years which is uh dinner en blanc which is the white dinner right and and that has been on hold since 2018 right. since uh, 2019 and we don't know how to bring that back right now mm. but that's a global thing with this event because it's a global event we're not none of us are sure what to do because you suddenly have a huge responsibility yeah you don't want to put the need to have this event um before public health no you don't want to you know so it also means that for for pr for pr professionals and for events professionals you actually have to become a public health professional as well right because this thing is is having such a big effect on how you're doing business you can't afford to not know about it yes you can't afford to not know everything about it and now you also are the source of information for your participants right so they come to you for everything so you have to know about the testing and you have to know whether the tests are valid and you have to know when to to spot something that's off if someone has a fever you have to know what to do the, the protocols just the protocols alone so we're realizing that um going back into events will require like a, a covid team mm. like a protocol team yeah um that that's only focused on keeping people healthy and and keeping the spaces safe mm. and because this pandemic hasn't gone mm. because we keep talking about post pandemic but it hasn't gone anywhere no we're but still very much intra pandemic yeah yes exactly So we have a huge responsibility um and um we see that people are in a bind mm. you're losing a lot of money not being able to put on live concerts yeah. but at the same time it's on this huge responsibility but i think 
we it's 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 on us to kind of guide the public or guide the clients about what's possible and what's not possible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um in terms of the future i think i think I, I feel like events will be hybrid for a while mm. because people have now learned that physical presence is not always necessary. Yeah. I think we should encourage hybrid as much as possible just because we have to keep our eye on on the fact that this pandemic is still very much looming and mm. very much present. Um, and I think we can get we can get more creative about how people uh, engage with each other and how um, and how we program and present events. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I I look forward to seeing what concerts and things. I mean, now people are back in concerts live like nothing has happened, and that that slightly bothers me because I'm not sure if it's if that's the best thing to do at the moment. It's it's a little but scary, just, right? It, it's very scary to see everybody, particularly in the states, because here we were locked down while the states opened up, yeah. and they opened up and went back to normal. Yeah, and I think. There's a danger in going back to normal before we know that this thing is completely gone. I absolutely agree. At the moment, oh, we have 10% of our population. Is it 10% of our population? Mm. Yeah. That's vaccinated now. Mm. And that, that's huge uh, for the continent. But that's a lot of people that are not vaccinated. And yeah. we also know that when we do events, you're hiring people. So you hire like day workers, you yeah. hire drivers. Yeah. These, these are the people that you're putting in danger yeah. every day if yeah. you're not. Yeah. So there's a there's a bigger responsibility I think now for companies like ours when we're producing an event and I think it's it's imperative that we communicate that to our clients. Yeah. As well, it's on us to communicate um, how things have to change to our clients. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree 1000%. Um and and thank you so much for kind of putting that putting putting that very very necessary health frame and that in, in, in into focus especially because um sometimes people will think that you're being paranoid um and that yes. there's many reasons for that like people want truly and you can understand why people want to believe mm-hmm. that the thing is going or on its way out um there's different ways that people want to engage with with the whole with the whole covid thing there's also people who've lost people and they feel like maybe the yes. universe has given me as much loss as i can stand it like it would be too much if like the universe took more from me so like for me i've done my quarter of covid you know what i mean like there's a yes, lot of yes. there's a lot of um like irrational definitely but very very valid um very very valid um pushbacks against this idea of continually being into covid there's also fatigue like people are just tired you know mm-hmm. and they just mm-hmm. want the thing to be done uh but then we yeah. are where we are you know yeah we're absolutely where that, we are that fatigue is real absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. um and we're, we're now on our final question and this has been a wonderful wonderful conversation um okay. <laughs> yeah and the final question is like for you guys what is the future of illum as you see it now what are the things that are making you excited curious um happy about kind of looking forward Oh, the future of Illum, um, and this this really the past two years has really helped shed light on this or illuminate this, if you will. Um, it's it's more collaboration, mm. um, uh, collaborating across borders, and so I see us I see us being able to carry out incredible projects all over the world, um, even though if, while still being based here, mm-hmm. and um, being able to create more opportunities for um, creative um, entrepreneurs or freelancers or professionals from Rwanda. 
um, um, being able to create platforms that, um, to develop platforms, sorry, that create more opportunities and exposure for them. And, and I also see us playing more of a role in our industry as, uh, um, you know, bringing in skills, um, helping professionalize um, um, the creative industry and also working um, to to basically yeah to help upskill to help upskill people and to give them opportunities to to find work beyond our borders we we're in a, we're in a very small market and mm. so we know that the answer is out there and opportunity is out there um so we do see ourselves growing outward um absolutely but through collaborations mm. um with all these amazing creatives across the continent mm. and, and across the world and that had started to happen before the pandemic already yeah and so we're looking forward to to more of that i mean i think i think i think you're very much on the money and maybe not just on the money but even like in the zeitgeist of things because there's definitely a kind of hunger for community um and not just among creatives but in general because um we're so separate from kind of centralized um running institutions people are a little bit more detached from their governments than they used to be we're a little bit detached from these large kind of media organizations and we're increasingly turning to one another for the information that we need for different things for this public health information we were talking about earlier um for yeah. this is where to get something that's reliable and people are knowing that increasingly we're going to have to turn to each other so definitely i strongly believe that um the things that the things that illum want to do in partnership with so many other people they'll definitely come to pass um simply because of that and also because together there are things people are able to see um that they were not able to see as individuals and you will definitely help them yeah. see things and they will help you see things um and you know um to just kind of have this beautiful evolution together yes yes exactly yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really grateful, Anne, for this wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much for sharing um, from Illum's journey. Thank you so much for um, kind of uh, bringing to light um, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the beautiful in the beautiful way that um, you guys do. That's so on brand um, for for your name, uh, bringing to light all of these um, all of these thoughts around uh, the business side of, of creativity, the challenges of that side, and also the the beautiful things that can happen sometimes when when things align and just kind of flow um and we really really wish you and the whole illum team um well in everything that you want to do going forward and we could we, we we are really excited to continue our relationship with you as hiva thank you so so much thank you for having me and thank you for being an inspiration the work that you guys do has inspired us for years so um yeah absolutely absolutely so thank you so much uh for having me and uh yes i look forward to talking to you soon all right thank you you too bye